Hey everyone, it's Ouch. Listen, it's tough out there for us content creators anymore. You just trying to put up your own video reviewing your stupid games? All of a sudden, copyright strike. Like, you know what's going on with any of this. Well, this is why I implore you, check out the Bass Rebels. They provide great, free, copyright-free music you can use in your videos, live streams, or what I do, your podcasts. They do a lot of dance music, a lot of chill vibe music. They do some heavy bass stuff, but it's really good. Check out the link in the description of this episode or go to bassrebels.co.uk for more info. Hello everyone, it is your buddy and your pal, Ouch, back again with what you've been playing, the video game review show here on the Ouchcast. You know, every now and again, I find myself at somewhat of a quandary when it comes to the games I play. I act like the only thing I want are the super in-depth, long-form, AAA, single-player experiences. Not that I haven't dabbled in multiplayer games here and there, but I always cite the abuse of brain chemistry as a reason to stay away. Things like level grinding, toxicity of other humans, or just the fact you're in a hamster wheel doing the same thing over and over again, all fair points against online. But on the other hand, the free time allotted to me just doesn't have enough room for a huge experience. Depending on the scale and the scope, every single player game becomes this threatening, overbearing frat brother you want to go on an adventure? Oh, we're going on a goddamn adventure! No checkpoints! And not that all online games are made of the same either. Sometimes you only have the time for a chunk of something, and the online stuff kind of fits that bill. I'm kind of considering getting back into Dead by Daylight, a 4 versus 1 her horror sim, and I love being the monster. Although all the really cool killers are all DLC, so it's either be the generic hillbilly forever, or spend cash for the creepy clown, the teenage cult members, and the K-pop singer. And maybe on a sale day. Anyways, we got a big show for this time. I'm not sure why I said we when it's just me. But let's get to what I've been playing. Hit the music, please. First up is probably one of my favorite series, certainly of these most recent generations, maybe of all time. These games get a special place on the shelf because there is just a great emphasis on just stupid fun. This is the latest entry in the series, and it does the just right amount of enhancements to be an actual reason to release a new game. I am talking about Earth Defense Force World Brothers played on the PlayStation 4. Now, full disclosure, you gotta mention this kind of stuff now or else you get popped for some kind of weird payola scheme, except you don't make any money on it. I won this game through a Twitter giveaway. The only reason I have this game is sheer luck. Granted, that account actually rarely tweets anymore, but it served its purpose. If you have never played an EDF game before, the sum up is pretty simple. You are basically a one-man army, 
taking out actual armies of aliens, which usually tend to be giant bugs. Think like a 1950s cheesy monster movie? They kind of bounce back and forth between being serious as a heart attack and all the characters going, okay, we know what game we're in, play along, wink. Although, fair warning, they do feature realistic bug models, so if you got a hang up on spiders, bees, or ants, you will be triggered back to that time you thought you were stuck in the playground sandbox forever, but really your mom was just picking up Dairy Queen for lunch and was running a little late. The most obvious change going in is the graphic style. The entire series always kept it real. While most of the character models were stiffer than an action figure, you can tell they were at least trying to be human. In World Brothers, they made a giant jump into a Roblox style, everything is a cube design. If Chibi style and Minecraft had a baby, this look would be the result. It's an interesting choice for sure. I just don't know where it came from. What kind of person would play an EDF game and go, you know what would be better? If these guys looked like Mega Bloks. If it was just a design choice that didn't affect gameplay, fine. But it kind of becomes a pain in the ass when you realize, oh, there are no actual hills, just constant jumping. Unless you have a flying character, Prepare for quite a trek. Speaking of characters, jumping right into the biggest improvement in the game itself, you now command a squad of up to four characters, complete with switching between them. Every other game has you locked into one character with a set of weapons. Now, you can have a completely balanced team with everyone having a reason to be there. You need to travel vertically, switch to your jetpack character. Surrounded by all sides, switch to your assault trooper. Giant nest, have your air support team call in a laser strike. Plus, with the addition of new super moves, you can set diversions, constantly heal, or just lay waste to the enemy with giant flame geysers. It is such a great improvement that adds a huge layer to the game. The character system itself is a grab bag of ideas. There are three randomly drawn characters in each stage to rescue, each possibly holding a new weapon and a new accessory. They can range from characters from past EDF games, which is kind of a fabrication. The Air Fencer from EDF 2025 did not have a name or a personality, but whatever. Or they can be a goofier character made for this game. This is kind of where the game gets a little stereotypical and judgmental. A lot of the characters are based on countries, which they kind of just took the first thing they thought of for that country and made that the character. Brazil's character is a samba dancer, South Korea's is a streamer, Mexico's looks like he hopped off of a hot sauce bottle, complete with sombrero, poncho, and hangover. They're fake characters! but it's really, really borderline, depending on how serious you take this. The biggest issue is how you level up these characters. Each person starts only being able to use a specific weapon type, uh, assault rifle, shotgun, sniper, etc, etc. As you level them up, a new type is randomly unlocked, 
meaning they can use more weapons or have a different mix. But getting a character to rescue in a stage is completely random. So it's a whole lot of RNG to get someone all the way up to level 10 for the trophy. Plus, unlike in past games, where enemies could just drop weapon after weapon after armor after weapon the entire level right after they're killed, here, it's three. That's it. It becomes the fiercest of bottlenecks just to attempt to grind out a level 10 character who is probably not who you were even trying to max out, but they just happen to be the closest one to start it. The best way to describe this game would be a greatest hits compilation, both in good and bad ways. The game has 60 stages, which honestly is more than fair. Hell, EDF5 has, I want to say, like 130, 140 stages, that range, which is way too much once you factor in the multiple difficulties. To put the scale in range, one playthrough will get you the 20% done trophy, so do the math for how much you would have to play this. It has the usual stages, cities, the countryside, and thankfully only one underground stage. The enemies have the usual ants, spiders, bees, spaceships, robots, and the giant monster stages. It's fine for what it is, and for a more budget title, you can't expect them to put in the robotic mantis from Insect Armageddon or anything else really obscure, let alone make them blocky. Side note, they actually did put in the robotic mantis, which kind of takes the wind out of my point, but you get the idea, come on. Overall, I dug my time with EDF World Brothers. It's a fun take on the game, more with an emphasis on being slightly goofier than past games. The problems carry themselves through the series, between grinding, replaying the same levels, going through the harder difficulties, and every vehicle being complete shit. The gameplay additions can make a world of difference with the super moves and multiple characters and setups, but I'm having it a hard time calling it the be-all end-all EDF experience, pun fully intended. World Heroes is fine for what it is, but EDF5 gives a heartier experience with more enemies, stages, the realistic look. Both give you the fix you're looking for, it just depends on the flavor you want. But for Earth Defense Force World Brothers, I'm giving it a more than fair 7 out of 10. This next game, I've been going back and forth on. On one hand, it's got a great gameplay mix that is basically the only thing I want, but it has the same levels of frustration that I don't really want to play more of it. It actually comes as a surprise to me that I am so middle ground on Dungeons and Dragons Dark Alliance. So let's try to walk through this one and figuring out where the tipping point's at. Since you heard the brand name in the title, you can kinda guess the story. And if not, swirl around as many medieval fantasy tropes in your head and you'll be pretty close. All powerful magic crystal, all the bad guys team up, and your team of heroes has to stop them, yada yada yada. It's fine, you knew what you were getting into. 
Although I do find it interesting that they got this brand deal. I mean, isn't it a little late for a D&D &D resurgence? I mean, the game probably would have been raked over the coals without the license. Another open world exploration, RPG elements without a history or foothold in the game world probably would not have even been noticed in this day and age. As for the gameplay itself, it's basically everything I want and what I'm good at. Take your God of War style brawler, mixed with a Diablo style loot system, and damn if you don't have potential. You have four classes to choose from, and you go out on missions in particular chapters, fighting monsters, gathering loot, and all around adventure-y kind of activities. This game is basically if like Marvel's The Avengers game was good. I know they tried, but they got greedy and wanted a taste of that microtransaction money. But here with D&D, you earn everything through the game, exploring lands, completing missions, and truly customizing your character into what you want. And I'll say this, these levels are truly give a great display of how exploration is really important. Even before the mission starts, there's a little set of icons that tell you how long this stage is going to take, and that is so helpful. It's useful when the game tells you, hey man, this mission is going to take quite the schlep. Carve out at least a couple of hours. The stages themselves are exemplary of how level could design can truly scratch that explorer's itch. The game will basically lead you by the hand to the main objectives, but there are always enough nooks and crannies with justifiable reasons to go explore. You'll always have a side boss to defeat, along with a ludicrous amount of side items to collect, and that shit is hidden deep. When the level exploring is fun all by itself, separate from the bosses and missions, there's something right about it. A thing that surprised me was how much humor is actually in the game. I'm not sure how that gets lumped in, if D&D has a comical side or what, but everything from the trailer to the mini conversations between the enemies have that touch of ridiculous to it, which I am all for. If this was a super serious Lord of the Rings style high fantasy, that shit where you can't touch the lore, this is my life's work, it is my genius kind of game or design I think would get lost real easily in the gaming realm. But that little bit of levity from the tongue-in-cheek attitude makes this stand out a little bit more. But there's something about the technical side of this title that's maybe a little seedy, like a creepy pusher, except instead of trying to sell you drugs, it's trying to sell you next-gen consoles. I don't know if this was created for the Series X and then ported it down, but there are a lot of little issues that might be technology based. I've had the frame rate bounce on me a little bit at times. I've had entire chunks of my character's body not spawn in at the start, but I think the worst of it might just be the load times. Just starting the game up has that long awkward moment of Oh, shit, is the game locked up? I mean, I didn't even do... Uh, oh, nope, there's a status bar. It's almost done. You th wouldn't think any system that you spent $400 on should be having any kind of technology issue. 
but they really are trying to get everyone to step up again. And I'm thinking with no observable proof of this fact, this is a little bit of shady tactics here. Aside from conspiracy theories by developers, the gameplay is fine, yet not perfect. As much as I like this version of hack and slash gameplay, they added in just that little bit of the Souls-like feel to the controls. You know, specifically your parry and your dodge and shit like that. It's not a deal breaker, but it's not ideal. You can at least take a couple of hits and still be able to defeat most everything around you, but it's not a total button masher, which is really up to you if that's what you want in these types of games. But there's a lot of timing issues, getting attacks to hit before you get hit, letting the animation play out before being able to turn around, those kind of issues. And even more peculiar, due to the third person over the shoulder camera, you can only really attack your enemies in this one certain area of the screen, and it can get finicky when you're a hair off center. I'm sure you could get used to this system over time, so that one I'm gonna let slide a little bit. But where the complete deal breaker comes from is the level of frustration from the jumps in difficulty, which can make the game feel practically impossible. Of the four character classes, only two can actually take damage, making the bow and arrow girl and the scary elf completely unplayable single player. Before each mission, the game offers you a difficulty setting, usually based on how strong your gear is, but it certainly feels like it's too much of a jump, like it's not quite balanced right, especially certain monsters. I understand ogres and trolls or whatever are stronger than just a lot of gremlins, but they should still be defeatable. Even on just one level bump up, these guys just become pains in the ass because of how much damage they can take and how much they can deal. When none of my characters can do enough damage to take one down, they die, go back to the start of the level where all the monsters respawn, including the goddamn troll I need to get past for the next possible checkpoint, it becomes a not fun proposition. Usually in these reviews, I try to give as much benefit of the doubt to the games. I'll let stuff slide, I'll inflate the score, I'll do things like that. This is one of those rare games where I'm talking myself down, taking a lot of points away. The window dressing of the game is really nice. There's personality in the enemies, the stages are great to roam around in, and the gameplay itself gives the feeling of bashing your enemies with a shield very well. But that fun stops when you're going over the same damn cliff because two trolls spawn there and none of your supers are charged up enough to do anything about it, making this the sixth time you've had to restart, that fun disappears very fast. So I'm going to give Dungeons & Dragons Dark Alliance a 5 out of 10. There's something there, but my patience isn't going to deal with it. You know that I gotta get something a little more obscure on the pod every now and again, and this next game fits the bill. 
nominated a handful of times for best indie game or mobile game alike. This kinda has the charm of a Katamari Damacy, but nowhere near as long. But for a bite-sized gameplay experience, it's pretty harmless. We are talking about Donut County. Donut County is a puzzly physics toy where you play as this hole in the ground and you're moving all over these levels, trying to swallow up all the props on the stage. For sure, it does have that fun feeling from a Katamari series, where the progression has a direct effect on the gameplay. The more you swallow up, the bigger you get. Here, it's getting everything into a pit, which is pretty fun, especially when you get a pile of stuff and you only stay under the first half of the table or whatever, and everything just slides right down. It tries to introduce some puzzle elements to it, like shooting certain props back out of the hole to hit a switch, or using elements of the stage to get rid of something, like the hole being filled up with water and you have a bird drink it. It's an interesting idea, but certain props are used for like two levels and then never seen again. I think that's the biggest problem facing Donut County. I don't think there's enough of one particular idea to really give it an identity one way or the other. If every stage has a physics puzzle to it, that's fine, you'd have the player's creativity leading them through the game. If every stage was just filling up the hole, great, the fun Katamari style carries the game. But doing little bits of both kinda makes you want more of either or, and it just feels kinda short-changed. The fact that this is a lightning short game doesn't help this issue either. Honestly, some of these stages feel like they take seconds, not even minutes, to complete. And it's not even like you have these growing, sprawling stages you keep going until the timer runs out. You get a chunk of a level, and once everything's gone, you're done. Understood it's done on an indie level of money and development, so the whole game is practically done in maybe two hours, but the entire experience does leave you wanting more one way or the other. The thing that the game does carry well are its visuals and its sound, both of which are super unique. The look I can describe as if you took Animal Crossing, threw in a dash of cell shading, and put it in a pop art blender, that's pretty close. You honestly only see the characters in the shortcut scenes, but they have the same anthropomorphic vibes, talking to animals all living in the same town. It's quirky enough to be noticeable. It's very much the same deal with the music, which is that super chill, lo-fi vibes groove you see in those 10-hour gag videos on YouTube they say you can study to. You have to have an affinity for electronic sounds, and honestly, it could be the same song over and over. I didn't really notice a change, but it puts you into a relaxed vibe, which is kind of fitting for this game. Overall, Donut County is a fine little game, but certainly leaves you wanting more. There is fun in the whole stages, and there are some unique puzzle ideas. There's just not enough of anything to ever come back once you beat the game. For a two hours, find it cheap and knock it out fairly quickly. Ratings wise, it's a solid 6 out of 10. And that 
is this time's episode. Thank you for listening, everyone. Every play is progress. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Just Ouch, capital J-U-S-T, capital A-E-W-C-H, or send me an email, ouch64 at gmail.com. And don't forget, you can find this show on many, many podcast sites. All you have to do is search The Ouchcast and anchor.fm slash ouch. Until next time, everybody, we will see you then. Bye-bye.